Secrecy is a breeding ground for shame. In today's episode, Amanda Carpenter discusses her new book, Soul Care to Save Your Life, and how self-awareness led to deep and committed healing in her friendships and romantic relationships. She shares her vulnerable story about committing adultery and answers questions about how her husband responded to her confession of infidelity as a Christian. She talks about how they've worked through the healing process together and the action steps that she's taken. She also discusses openly about the ways in which she navigates the deep shame and guilt that comes with past mistakes and how she and her husband have chosen to prevent temptation from turning into another opportunity for sin. I pray that this episode encourages your heart if you've ever struggled with feeling betrayed, with forgiveness, lust, or infidelity, and that you will feel compelled to lean into Christ and his gospel of hope and grace. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to give a quick rating and review on iTunes. It only takes a minute, but helps me to get incredible guests like Manda on the show. Also, if you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to listen to episode 83, same-sex attraction, sexual addiction, and a redeemed marriage, and also episode 37, which I recorded with my husband, dealing with disconnected seasons in marriage. Also, don't forget that the Sex and Intimacy Project is launching in just a few weeks. We are so excited. Jesse and I have recorded this for couples specifically to walk through for deeper physical and emotional intimacy. Doors will only be open for a short time, so be sure to click the link in my show notes to sign up for the waitlist. Let's jump into today's conversation. Hey friends, we were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing. And I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how to's, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay, and today I am very, very excited to introduce you. Well, she's actually been on the podcast previously, but reintroduce you to my friend, Amanda Carpenter. She is the author of Soul Care to Save Your Life, and it is a phenomenally honest, vulnerable, beautiful book. So. Hey, Amanda. Thank you. Hi, I'm so glad to be back. I feel like just so honored to be a return guest. (laughs) I'm thankful to have you. Let's talk about all this stuff. So one of the things that you wrote in your book, and then I want to hear a little bit about how you got to this point and what compelled you to write on this topic. But one of the things that you wrote at the very beginning says, when we lack awareness and stumble around in the dark, we aren't only putting ourselves in danger, but burn other people and then have to deal with the aftermath of feeling ashamed. That was so good. It is just so yeah. good. And th- that comes from a story um, with your foster son and kind of navigating through some pain <laughs> and difficulty. But tell me a little bit about this self-awareness and how it has affected your life and why you think it's so important for people to live with that awareness of how they're living and the decisions that they're making. Yeah. Like you said, that specific part came out of a story when my boys and I went camping, but 
um, what had happened was it had dawned on me when I was on the other side of it, when I was the one being hurt by someone else's lack of awareness and living and stumbling around in the dark, it had dawned on me that that had been the story of most of my life. Mm. And that it, that no wonder I had always had like shame that I was carrying or people that I was constantly um, hurting. And then the relationship was ending and there was a lot of relational turnover in my life, not just romantically, but just in friendship and with a lot of people. Mm. I, I think it just dawned on me that, oh my goodness, the, the root of this is a lack of self-awareness. And unfortunately, as someone who grew up in the church, knew about God, tried to have a relationship with God, I was always taught to like, read my Bible, listen to worship music, go to church. Like that was how you had a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And what I've since learned as an adult, who's kind of finding my own way and learning to have a relationship with God. That's very personal to me is that actually an element that I think was missing was the discovery of self and not just the discovery of self in a really like selfish and self-absorbed way, but the discovery of self through the lens of God, like who does God say that I am? And then how did God make me? How did God wire me? And I'm um, just being really honest about those things. And so there's been a, a number of things that I've used to grow in my self-awareness, but it's vital that we are self-aware people. And I'm not just talking about self-aware of like, oh, your hair is sticking out of place. Like be, you know, not talking about surfacey appearances. I'm talking about self-awareness of what's going on deep down inside. What's driving you to do the things that you do, to say the things you say, to be the person you are, because it was ultimately the lack of that, that led me down a really destructive path. And um, yeah, I, self-awareness is sort of the start of my personal soul care journey. And I think it's the invitation that God has for all of us. Yeah. That's really good. What brought you to this point? So soul care to save your life. It is so in depth. It's relational, personal, spiritual. What brought you to this point? You have walked through a journey of being a foster mama. You had a baby. You are um, just kind of on this journey. You've moved, correct? You moved recently as well. Yeah, we, I had a baby. We moved, we fostered 16 kids. Why write this book? Why write soul care to save your life when there's so many other things that's, that are also a part of my life that I could have talked about. And I wrote this book because soul care matters more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, soul care is vital. It's what keeps me in a healthy marriage. Mm-hmm. It's what led me to actually decide that we were going to have a biological kid, which is a whole other you know mm-hmm. kind of conversation. But, but I feel like I meet people all the time and they're like, I love your life. It's beautiful. It's radical. You and your husband do things differently. And I appreciate that, but it's not the whole story. Just if people arrive to me today and they think that we just got here by chance, that's not the truth. Growth doesn't happen by accident. Beautiful stories and marriages and people don't happen by accident. And so soul care to save your life is honestly like my testimony and my story of how I got here. And It was hard. I didn't want to go back and share the most painful parts of my marriage and my life and all the mistakes that I had made. But I felt it was necessary because if we don't do that, then the more we proclaim God's grace and goodness and all that God's done for us, it leaves people going, okay, well, that's easy for you to say, or what does God actually do for you? And so I finally, my husband and I waited until we were both ready and we were six years removed from some of the hardest stuff that we wanted to share 
which to some people, six years is not enough. But for us, it was a personal decision for us to say, yep, I think we're far enough removed to talk about this and for God to use it to bring good to the world. And so we chose to come out. I chose to come out about a lot of stuff that God has redeemed and saved me from. And that is the story behind Soul Care to Save Your Life. Yeah. Well, I really genuinely appreciate everything that you have put in. And I know that um, today's topic is not necessarily the most comfortable, but I receive so many questions from people who are asking about healing from betrayal and being the person who had an affair. And they, I mean, the people closest to me who have struggled with this, it's like it eats them alive and the shame eats them alive and they love Jesus and they are leaning into that. And Many have been forgiven and the relationship has been redeemed, but they cannot seem to get past the brokenness and the shame of what they're living in. And then others who have had somebody who had an affair on them and they're battling to really like lean into the intimacy. So with all of that, I just want to ask some more in-depth questions for you, for people who may be facing these struggles. And I guess I would start with maybe if you could share a little bit of your story and what the confession process looked like for those who may be stuck in this right now and not know how to go to their spouse. Yeah, absolutely. So let me start by saying no two marriages are the same. No two stories of infidelity are the same. What's motivating a person to be unfaithful can be dramatically different. It could be that that person has a sex addiction. It could be that that person like me has an addiction um, to affirmation from, from the opposite sex or attention seeking behavior that they never healed from childhood. There's so many things. Those, right, I just named two, but there are so many different things. And so I like to offer that as a disclaimer, just because what I'm about to share is true of us and for me, but it may not be fully applicable to someone else. But I think I have a few tips that will be applicable for anyone that finds themselves in either side of this. They've either been cheated on in their marriage or they have been the one to commit that um, infidelity. And so, yeah, let's, let's dive into it. I'm happy to talk about it. Not because I'm, yeah, not because I'm proud of it, but I really am proud of what God has done. And I can say with full confidence that I am not the same person that I was. I don't struggle even remotely in the same ways that I used to. And that is fully because God can heal. So to back up, I will just share that my story, when I got married, it's not like all of the sudden I I started struggling with wanting attention from other males. It didn't just start. This was actually sin and trauma and stuff, if you, if for lack of better words, that I had struggled with my whole life. But the difference is that when that type of thing reared its head or showed up in my life, it wasn't really consequential. Like in dating relationships, it didn't really, it wasn't, I guess, really obvious. When I look back, I will say every dating relationship, there's overlap. It's like I was talking to the next person before the relationship was over. That's a big sign that you probably have some work to do before you get married, right? Well, I think I was doing as much of my work as I possibly could. But unfortunately, when I got married, one other thing I want to say is that it wasn't that my husband wasn't a good husband. It wasn't that I didn't love him or didn't want to be with him. And that's, I think, the part that's a little bit crazy to people that they don't always understand is you could be the perfect wife or the perfect husband, not that anyone's perfect, but you could be doing things all quote unquote right and still get cheated on. And what I need that person to know is that it's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. In fact, um, I want to like beg you to believe that 
because my husband, that was a big part of our healing journey was he had to really join me in counseling. That was one of the first things we did in getting to the root of this thing. So he could fully understand why I was behaving the way that I had and yeah, take all the embarrassment or shame away from him because it wasn't about him. And yeah, there was things in our marriage that needed to improve and be changed. But if your marriage or relationship hinges on someone being perfect all the time and meeting all of your needs all the time in order for them to be faithful, well, that's a disaster waiting to happen. That's not even fair, right? And so I think that for me, what happened was we got married. This quote unquote sin that laid dormant that had not showed up in a couple of years, our entire relationship, I didn't feel this was a thing anymore. I thought I was healed from it. And then I certainly thought that when we got married and said, I do, I meant it wholeheartedly. Yeah. I thought I'm, I'm good now. Like, not that I would have consciously been able to say, oh, I'm addicted to affirmation and attention from other men, but I definitely had this subtle, like knowing in my mind that it was something I struggled with. And I just thought, well, I'm better now. Like Eric is perfect for me. We're good. And unfortunately, when we said I do, it was the start of, I think me coming off of this high, right? Like the wedding and the marriage is like this high, you're at the mountaintop. And not that the only way to go from there is down, but you settle into normal life. There is sort of this downhill, like you come home from the honeymoon and you settle into normal life and normal life isn't full of highs all the time. And so when I wasn't getting that quote unquote fix or that high all the time and normalcy set in, what ended up happening? The old habits that hadn't been healed, that should have been healed before I ever got married, started to show up again. The habit of a guy would compliment me. And not only did that feel really good, but I took it a step further. I engaged with him more. Or Eric, if he had a bad day or had a moment where he wasn't on perfectly for me as a spouse, I went to somebody else. And that's not fair or healthy. And so, you know, that's just to name a couple of things, but it just started this just really really devastating, hard time in our marriage where very early on, I'm like trying to be a good wife or trying to figure out how to be married. Yet this side of me that I was ashamed of that I don't think my husband even knew really existed because he hadn't experienced it. We had a great, very faithful dating and engagement period of our life reared its head and he didn't know. Um, so we had a lot going on. He was not aware by the way, for those listening, as far as the timeline goes, we were not foster parents yet. We didn't foster until after we, um, worked through all this stuff later on, but I let somebody, I won't go into too much detail, but I let somebody sort of convince me that they could meet my emotional needs. And I thought, well, that's okay. You know, in my mind, I'm like, I justified it. Again, looking back, it wasn't cool that I hid things from my husband. I hid text messages. This person bought me gifts. I would have never told Eric that this person had bought me a gift. And I justified. And the lines got blurry. And the further I got into a what I believe now was an emotional affair, the further the lines got blurry and things got justified, the harder it was to recognize that it was not good and the harder it was to come out of it. It's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome. When you're, um, when you're engaging in something that's unhealthy, it, you can start to be convinced that it's actually okay. And you can start to come back to it over and over again. I don't know if that makes any sense or resonates, but that definitely was going on for me. And it wasn't until, and I share this in my book, it wasn't until things got physical one time, 
that the lights came on, Lindsay, and it, it was truly like God flipped on the lights. And I was so ashamed and so devastated. And I was like, how did I get here? How did this happen? I love my husband. What is going on? And I, I say that because, again, from an outsider's perspective, it was easy to see all along what was going on. If, if somebody could have been in my you know, inner world, which no one was, and could have seen this person texting me and me hiding that text from my husband, it's very clear all along. But I was not living in a state of consciousness and awareness the way that I do today. And it wasn't until things got physical that it was like the lights switched and it, it just, I couldn't believe what had happened. Let's talk about sex. This is such an undercommunicated topic in the church, and we want to talk about it. Marriage and pleasure should go together. Our world pushes the lie that once you're married, sex is no longer enjoyable or fun or passionate, but that is a lie. Sex was created for marriage, and statistically, sex is far more enjoyable within a relationship with two people who love one another and have committed to life together. One of the most common struggles that I hear from couples is that they feel like sex has become an obligation instead of something they look forward to. We receive hundreds of questions every month about sex and intimacy. Questions like, how do I initiate sex when I feel shy or intimidated? How do I turn off my thoughts and get in the moment? Or what do I do if I no longer feel attracted to my spouse? We also get the question, is there ever a time when it's okay to not be intimate? And what is okay and not okay in the bedroom according to God's word? So Jesse and I are thrilled to be answering these questions and so many more in our new study, The Sex and Intimacy Project. This course will be conversational, fun, engaged, packed with scripture, and created for couples. We will also, of course, include an entire intimacy workbook that helps you to put into action everything that you learn, which is specifically created to help you communicate better about sex, to be more adventurous and playful in the bedroom or maybe in the kitchen, and to learn what your spouse likes more than ever before and so much more. We want you to know that it's completely normal to experience the peaks and valleys in your intimacy, but we don't want you to stay stuck in the valleys. We have an ultimate sex challenge for you, which really encourages couples to focus on the quality of their sex life rather than the quantity. So click the link in my show notes or in my Instagram bio at living easy with Lindsay to sign up for the sex and intimacy waitlist. It is going to be launching mid September. So keep an eye out for it. And once you're signed up, you'll be the first to know all all of the details for our foolproof roadmap to a healthy, creative, and exciting intimacy. You'll also receive emails with tips and tricks to boost your sex life and the joy and the fun within your relationship as we go along. So pause for a second, go to my show notes and click that link and get on the wait list. We are so excited to come alongside you to help you create a spiritually and emotionally intimate relationship along with a thriving and passionate sex life. Thank you for sharing that. I I mean, it's it's so that story and not to put you in a box, but that story seems to be very common, especially amongst women, where it begins with the emotional connection and the emotional attachment, and then it progresses into the physical. And a lot of the time from the women I speak with, the physical comes because almost for many, it feels like an obligation because they've given so much emotional. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Like I would be the first to admit if I had like a sexual addiction or if that was any part of this. So I just know that that wasn't it. I wasn't actually interested in being physically intimate with this person at all. It's just, I think you described it. I felt a little bit obligated. And I think that I wanted so badly to keep getting my fix. And that was the next thing that came. And I know that sounds so crazy and it sounds crazy even to me now, but I've lived in. So I'm telling you it's true. And I want to share, if you don't mind about the confession, because I know you asked about that. I held this secret, unfortunately, for almost a year. I couldn't bring myself to tell my husband what had happened. So what I will say is I cut things off. The minute it got physical, I cut things off. And I was like, oh my gosh, never again. And I cut all ties with this person. I'm proud of that. But I wish I would have just gone to my husband right away. Instead, I cut ties and my mind did that thing that it does once again. And it started to justify. Well, if you tell Eric, he's only going to be hurt. He's not going to understand that you've want to be with him. And you made this mistake, not because you don't want to be with him. He's never going to find out. Actually, this person doesn't even live in the same country as you anymore. So he's, it's, it's totally gone. You can just shove it on, you know, put it away and like be done with it. I I even told myself, I've confessed this to God. God sees and knows everything. I'm good. Hmm. Well, we all know that those of us in relationship with Jesus know that's not how things work. Mm -hmm. And the Holy spirit was tugging on my heart for months Now, the reason I didn't come right forward, even though I felt that tug is fear, fear of rejection my husband leaving me, all these things. Now, those are very real consequences that honestly, he would be validated if he had chosen to do those things. I'm so grateful he didn't. And we can talk about how he responded. And I love the way he responded. But basically what ended up happening was the Holy Spirit. It took time, but it did its work on me. And day after day, it was this sort of tug of war between the light and the dark. I was growing very depressed because when you're harboring a secret that's eating you alive, you don't feel good about yourself. You're very insecure. You, in all areas of your life, it it robs you of life. And so I couldn't fully live. And all my relationships felt like a fraud. Like I remember times where I would hang out with my mother-in-law who I love and am close with. And she'd be like, I love you. You're so perfect for my son. And I would just feel like a fraud. Mm-hmm. And the more that goes on, the longer it goes on, secrecy is breeding grounds for shame. And so harboring the secret left me so ashamed that I couldn't come forward. When I finally chose to come forward, it's because I had gotten a mentor. I'm so thankful for her. She, um, she and I would talk about all the things in life, just everything. And I, I remember just over time building trust with her and feeling like, man, she is a follower of Jesus that I want to be like. She is gracious and kind. She's so forgiving. If I tell her and the world doesn't stop spinning and she doesn't like totally make me freak out, then I think I can come out about this. And so to make a very long story short, I one day worked up the courage and I am telling you, it was like a burst of energy. I just spit it out. I gave a thousand disclaimers, but then I just said it. I said, Mm -hmm. I cheated on Eric and it was a long time ago. And I, I never told anyone and I've been, it's been weighing on me. And she didn't make any promises she couldn't keep. She didn't promise me a happy ending or no consequences for my actions. Cause that would have been really silly, right? Mm-hmm. She was really wise. She just held space for me and she didn't say these words, but in the way that she held space, she communicated, I promise you, I can't promise you a happy ending, but I promise you a life worth living. And it was through that interaction that I knew. I was going to get through this. I didn't know for sure that my marriage was, 
I didn't know what the future was going to look like, but I knew that a life of integrity and a life of freedom was worth it because the, the weight, even just telling one person, telling my mentor, the weight of shame. Oh my gosh. Like I can't even describe how light and free I felt. In fact, so light and so free that it's 15 minutes from where I confessed to my mentor to getting to my apartment in Chicago, where Eric and I were living at the time I drove home. There was only about a 15 minute period between telling Rocio and confessing to my husband. And I mean, that, that just goes to show that when you can tell one person and come to the light, you're going to feel so free and never want to go back that you're just like, you, you will have the courage. Like you don't have to find it. It will come. The Holy spirit will equip you even in a dark time of having sin in your life. Like it will happen. That's the only way I can describe it. I'm so passionate about it because it's, it's supernatural. Yeah. I want to relate back um, because while I have not gotten to that point, there have been so many moments in my own life where I have struggled and I'm very similar to Amanda in my past relationships. Like I I've shared in my testimony that I always had someone kind of like on speed dial Mm -hmm. just in case the relationship didn't work out, you know, like, okay, I need to make sure I'm not alone. I'm never alone. And I always tell people like things don't just go away because you say I do, you have to process through and do the work. Like you're saying, do that soul care in order to, to heal and to grow and mature. And throughout my marriage, that's been something where the attention, you know, if I'm feeling insecure with Jesse or I'm feeling a lack of confidence, or I'm feeling like maybe he is better than me or doing better than me, or I don't know that I start to fall into this place of desiring that attention. And it's been something where I had to learn early on. And this was something that was taught to us by our mentors was to speak it out as you're saying, to speak it out and to overcompensate. And that overcompensation for me looked like telling everything because Jesse could handle it. I can't handle it. I don't want Jesse to tell me who he thought was pretty that day. He has an accountability partner for that stuff. But if I am struggling or if I'm having a dream or if someone messages me and I find them attractive, I know that I instantly have to go to him or to someone that I'm very close with and speak that out. Because as you're saying, the freedom that comes, but it is, has been so wild for me because I can really be spiraling in that direction and really kind of be praying and repenting of, of that desire to be seen by someone else. Mm-hmm. And it is the second I speak it out, the second I say it, I feel like that spiral stops and it's not totally. always, yeah. right? it's not, it's not an immediate healing, but it's like, whoa, okay. Now I can process through this from a logical perspective and not an emotional attachment, I guess. Yes. What you're describing is exactly what we have come to because of what we went through. We now have a full disclosure in our marriage where every Sunday night we ask each other three questions. And one of those questions is, is there anything weighing on you that you need to bring to the light or that you just want to tell me about? And it's a safe space where I will tell him like earlier this week, I had an encounter and it left me feeling really desired. And I I really liked it. And I just want to name that out loud because we've learned that when I name that out loud, it, that temptation, that struggle, it loses its power over me when it's no longer secret. It's a lot more, it's a lot less enticing. I think secrecy is, is something the enemy will use to bring out the worst in us. And some people are wired 
that they just really enjoy that secrecy and it leads you down a dark path and, and, and myself included. And it's also a safe space. My husband would not care if I share this. It's a safe space where he'll often say to me or not often, but he has from time to time said to me, I feel like lately our sex life has not been what it used to be. And I want to talk about that. And I just want to be honest that I clicked on some images I shouldn't have clicked on. And I'm confessing that to you and I'm apologizing and I want to talk, talk through it. And that's just a safe space where we have built um, just a gracious place for those confessions. And what I will say is in order to do that well, you really do have to have grace because if you react to your husband or wife's confession with shame and guilt and making it all about you, like, how could you do this to me? Mm-hmm. It's only going to make them want to hide that more and like keep it secret more. So the way we respond when someone confesses to us is really, really important. And I know to do that well is hard and requires wisdom and maturity that I think you have to get through experience and time. But um, I am so grateful that you guys are able to do that. And you've had that practice that's very preventative in your relationship. And for us now, it's, it's obviously a reaction to what had happened, something that we do because of that. But it's also preventative for the future because healing is ongoing. I will never be fully, maybe, hopefully, but at this point in time, it's like, will I ever be fully freed of my desire to be desired? I don't know. But at least now we have very practical things in place that protect me and our marriage. Yeah. I'm curious, Amanda. So I know you said Eric responded really well and feel free to share that part. But as I've, I've walked through this situation with some people, it seems like there are these moments that they're really triggered, even if they feel like they've grown so much and they've overcome and they've forgiven and they've chosen to move forward together that there are days or moments when it just absolutely seeps in again. And mm-hmm. the enemy uses it to really create destruction, you know, where there it becomes a question of like, how could you have done that? Or why weren't you, you know, you've gotten so much better. Why weren't you that person then? You know, why, why did yeah. you do that to me? Why did you cause this in our marriage? Why did you, you know, it's, it's a lot of maybe blame, but also just hurt and brokenness because of what happened. Is that something that y'all have struggled with as you have kind of walked through this healing journey and how do you handle that if so? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll speak to all of that. I'll start with his reaction. Obviously he was shocked when I walked through the apartment door that day and confessed to him that I had been unfaithful and um, obviously just spilled the tea on everything, just laid it all out there, who it was, what happened, when it happened, when it got cut off. I just, I just spilled it all out. Cause, cause the last thing you want to do, I think if you have the opportunity to come forward instead of getting caught, I think you should come forward I think that that's actually a big reason he was able to rebuild trust with me was even when he heard everything, he was like, wow, at one point in time, not right away, but he did say, wow, you never would have had to tell me that. And so I think it meant a lot to him. It showed him that even though I had messed up, the integrity to come forward showed more about my character and the direction I was headed as a human and as a Jesus follower than the mistake that I had made. Um, His initial reaction outside of shock, he did say, I'll never forget. I wrote this in my book. He said, but I still love you. And it was just like that. It was sort of like a, how could you do this? But like, but I still love you. Like what is happening? I think his world was just sort of flipped upside down and he was, he was just shocked. I think those words are really important because they aligned with what God and the Holy spirit had been 
kind of whispering in my ear all along, which is you are going to get through this, not necessarily my marriage, but the Holy Spirit just been saying like, there is life on the other side of this and his words of grace. And I still love you. Like you're not the sum of your worst mistake really just aligned. And it it was such a a cool moment, but I don't want to over romanticize it. That's not the end of the story. We had in those in the hours after that and in the days that followed in the weeks and months that followed and and we'll get to the point of the years that followed but in the days the hours the days the weeks that followed he was angry he was sad he went through the grieving stages we went to counseling right away as a, as a couple but i also did individual and he also did some individual therapy and that that was really helpful because it was sort of like we're in the thick of this emotions are heightened but a counselor, a third party was able to help us know, okay, who all should we tell this to? Who should we not tell this to? It, like I said, emotions are heightened. You're not thinking super clearly. And so I'm really thankful that our therapist right away said to Eric, if you want, if you think that you want to work through this and to, to remain married to Amanda and to rebuild trust, one of the things I want to urge you to do is not to go running and tell like all your family about this. Now, she didn't say keep it a secret. She wanted us to find some key people, some key friends, mentors, and pastors to share this with so that we would have more support outside of her office. But she did say, you know, the last thing you need, my husband's name is Eric. The last thing you need, Eric, is to be in this emotionally fragile state, upset with Amanda for what happened, but holding space and trying to cater to family and relatives' emotions by defending her to them. You know what I'm saying? Like that can just cause a whirlwind of drama and resentment. And it just doesn't allow the space for him to heal and for us to heal. Yeah. Like just, I mean, and it can fuel the fire so much because if obviously his loved ones, the people closest to him are going to be very upset, you know, defending you, but also he's already feeling these heightened emotions and they're like, how, how could she? And then it just elevates that even further rather than allowing for healing. Yeah, totally. I think it was really just wise and beautiful that he chose to tell people at his own pace. And he told them when he was, when he was at a point where no matter how they reacted, his decision, his confidence in his decision remained steady. So I think that was really, really cool. Um, and he and I told people at different times, but we always made sure that the other was okay with who we were telling when we were telling them. So there were some people I actually told before he told some of his people, if that makes sense. Um, because I sought quite a bit of accountability right away. And yeah, so the initial stuff, it was hard. Like I said, I don't want to over romanticize it, but what I will say is that every single day was a choice to walk towards each other and was a choice to, you know, if Eric said to me, I'm feeling like when I look at you, I'm angry with you. Okay. I I can't be mad at him for that, but how can we navigate this? Do we need, do we need some space or do we need to do something that will bring us together and to walk towards each other? Eric loves that phrase. He always says, and he wouldn't care if I share this, that you have a choice. You can throw in the towel and call it quits and stay mad, or you can come towards each other. And for us, the act of daily coming towards each other, daily turning to face each other, you know how easy it would have been for days on end for him to either sleep on the couch or ask me to sleep on the couch or for us to not face each other in bed and just to have that bitterness and that resentment growing between us, that probably would have been a lot easier. He, he had to, he chose a really radical path of turning towards me. And 
accepting my repeated apologies. And the best apology is change behavior. And so right away, obviously I had already changed the behavior. I'd already cut off that relationship, but right away is when I started saying to him things like, Hey, this person, this male is texting me about this. I, I, are you okay with that? Would you like me to loop you in? Do you want my, I mean, I just went out of my way to be fully transparent, to say, I want to rebuild trust. I don't want to do anything you're not comfortable with. And so it it takes two people. And so I don't want to, I just, I know there might be people listening who have experienced this again on either side and they think, well, good for you, but like that sucks for me. That's not the way my story played out. And I feel for you. It really does take two willing people to make it work. Obviously there are people who make the mistake that I make and they also are at a point where they're questioning if they want to stay in that marriage. That wasn't our story. I knew for sure I wanted to be with him. There are some people in Eric's position who that's sort of the moment where they're like, Ooh, I think I want out of this. And, and lucky, luckily for us, that wasn't our story. And we came together and it has been a daily decision to come together. Because like you said, there have been moments where I think Eric's mind, he's triggered either in a conversation with people or in a TV show. Um, there was a specific show we started watching and right away there was a trigger. We were watching a show that had nothing to do with infidelity at all. That wasn't like the plot, but yet by season three, I think infidelity was a part of the story and the TV drama. And sure enough, we find ourselves he found himself especially triggered by that. And so it is something we will probably forever be navigating. But I think that by being so open about it now um, with people and, and with each other, primarily, we are just finding more and more freedom and healing and there's no secrets. And that's a really beautiful place to be. And I am jealous of people that have been in a place in their relationship and in their marriage where they've never had secrecy, but I'm so glad we're there now. I can't go back and change the past, but I am committed to having a better future that's healed and full of integrity. And that's so much of my story. That's so much of what soul care to save your life. My new book is about the opportunity for you to be able to speak about something like this, because it's always, you know, I mean, for me, I look back at my life pre-Jesus and like, gosh, I would do anything to not, not have lived that out. Um, but I am so thankful for the opportunity that God has given for me to speak on it and to, I don't know, to share his word in what it means to live faithfully in him and in his grace and his mercy through the thick of those decisions and to allow others the freedom to see that. And that's what you're doing in soul care to save your life and sharing it all. So I'm so thankful for you, Minda. I want to close with one more question just for those who may still be in the process of healing from an affair, from infidelity. One thing that John Piper says, I just love this so much. He says, after an affair or betrayal, there are two miracles. The one miracle is for the person who has been cheated on, and that is the miracle of forgiveness. And then the miracle for the person who has committed the affair is long suffering. And if both of these miracles where this, the one person who technically is the victim of the affair is willing to walk through that long suffering where you plant a tiny seed in the ground and you slowly let it grow back up to that trust and um, the assurance that you once had in the relationship. And then the, the forgiveness, you know, the forgiveness of truly saying, yes, I may never forget this, but I will be intentional to say, I have been forgiven of so much. Who am I to not forgive you? 
of what has been done. And those two miracles are healing, you know? And so for you, as you progress, what would your encouragement be to those who are in your position where they're saying, I, I get it, Amanda, like you're being honest and you're sharing yours. You don't have secrets and that is so admirable, but what do I do when I'm laying in bed at night and I just feel the weight of shame and guilt and it leads to Mm. depression or suicidal thoughts or feeling like I don't deserve my spouse. How do you walk through those feelings? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so hard because it is an ongoing journey. Healing doesn't happen in one full swoop. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a one and done check the box. It is an ongoing journey. And so what I would just say to that person is that you are already good, despite what you've done and and the mistakes that you've made, you are good. You are good because you are made in the image of God and God is so good and gracious. And that actually, the more you can believe that and lean into it and live from that place, the more you're going to experience a life of abundance and authenticity and freedom and security. And if you if you start to go down a path where you don't believe that and you don't live from that place, you're actually going to make decisions that align with that lie that Mm -hmm. you're not good Good. and that you're not forgiven. And then you're going to go back down a destructive path. And so it's actually counterproductive for you to keep beating yourself up and keep being ashamed. And it's hard. It requires a constant choice through your mind, but also a choice that's spiritual that travels, you know, the 18 inches from your head to your heart, which is pretty hard. Um, cause none of us can like force that to happen. It really is in a relationship with God through conversation with God, through conversation with other people who are reflections of God and who God is using as, as tools in your life to shape you and mold you to be more like him. It is through all of that. But, but, but honestly, I I dare you just even as an experiment, really try to soak in that truth that you are good and that there's nothing you can do to increase your worth or your goodness. And there's also nothing that you could do that's actually going to diminish or hinder that, um, that God loves you despite your mistakes and calls you to a better life and a better future. And, and the way that you get there is not by beating yourself up and hanging your head in shame but actually give God the glory by living like, you know, it's true living like you are good and you are forgiven and um, let God have that glory. Let people see the redemption in your life because that really does point them to, to God. Um, The only other thing I want to say is that on the days where I'm feeling really ashamed and I'm having a really hard time forgiving myself or just feeling like I am worthy, everything I just talked about, because there are still days where I struggle with it. What really helps me is to take the focus off of myself, mm-hmm. to stop focusing so much on me and instead put the focus on someone else. Who can I build up? Who can I pour into? Who can I mentor so that they don't make the same mistakes I did? So I would just say too, to on the days that you feel your lowest, go and serve someone else, go and encourage someone else, be an encouragement to your spouse, build them up. There is this magical thing that happens. I call it magical. We all know it's not magic. It's the Holy Spirit. But it is a really cool thing that happens when you feel low and you go serve and build someone else up. All of a sudden, you don't do it for this reason. You're not motivated by this. But what does end up happening is in doing that, you feel better. Mm -hmm. It, It does something for you. And so 
that's just one practical, more tangible piece of advice I have for someone in that place. Thank you so much. I I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so, I've loved watching your journey. I feel like we've probably been following one another like the past six, seven years, but it's been such an honor for me to see your growth and to see your, your candidness and vulnerability. It's inspired me to show up more as myself and to be more honest. I'm just honored to know you and If you wouldn't mind, will you share with our audience where they can find you and where they can find Soul Care to Save Your Life? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You can find me at mandacarpenter.com or mandacarpenter on Instagram and TikTok. I don't really use TikTok faithfully, but um, I'm trying. trying. (laughs) I feel like such an old lady. I'm like trying to figure it out in my bio on Instagram. (laughs) Yes, I know. I need need to like take all yours. I I love the tips you give. All the stuff you give away for free too. Like it's such a gift. So thank you, Lindsay. Like all that you're doing is really, really helpful and has just encouraged me to like embrace embarrassment, even if it feels a little weird to do a reel. But the new book, Soul Care to Save Your Life, is sold everywhere books are sold online. So when you go to Amazon or Target or Barnes and Noble, Walmart, really anywhere online, this book, even though we focus a lot on the the infidelity piece, it's about so much more than that. And so even if it's not someone's struggle, if they just want to live a more honest life that's that's free. If they want to grow spiritually, this is a book that, that will definitely speak to that. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so excited. I'm, I'm halfway through and I'm so excited to just keep going. And for all of our listeners, as Amanda said, if you gain anything from this, if you feel through this conversation that you are encouraged, or there's somebody in your life who may be struggling with desiring attention or who may have had an affair and is struggling to confess to their spouse, We just encourage you to share. Also check out this book. I genuinely, if you go follow Amanda on social, you'll see her heart, her honesty, her willingness to talk about the really hard things and the hard topics. We love you guys. Make sure to share this episode, tag us on social. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you gained. And as always, we'll see y'all next Monday. Bye.